Radio Split Ranch. Hello and welcome once again to Radio Split Ranch, a monthly visit with the Capital Region's great radio personalities of the past and sometimes present. I'm Warren Garling when I'm not on the radio, and as always, you're listening to an opening theme proudly created by singer-songwriter and great lunch partner, Drew Jacobs, whose clever compositions have put smiles on faces of fans at his frequent concerts and listeners of the Dr. Demento radio show. Check out his latest creations at drewjacobs.com. He's open 24 hours a day. My special guest this month is one of the deans of Capital Region Broadcasting who spent six decades on the air and is still entertaining us on a weekly podcast and in newspaper columns and books about the history of his hometown. You know the voice, you know the name. Now let's get to know the man. Welcome Bob Cudmore to the Radio Split Ranch. Mr. Cudmore, I am very happy that you made it up the stairs to the Radio Split Ranch. I know that's not easy these days for, no, for a lot of us. That's true. <laughs> but we got up here. It's we, well worth the trip. Well, I hope so. Well, let the audience be the judge of that in the that's next true. hour, okay? Yeah, yeah. So how have you been? Are you are you hanging in there? Well, I'm hanging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, I know that you're not supposed to ask this of people, but how old are you now? I'm 76 going on 77. Okay. I always right. get confused about that. Let me see. Yeah. I was born in 45. And okay. My birthday's late in the year, so it was... Um, I was 76 last year. I'll be 77 yeah, yeah. this November 9th. Yeah, the, the fun part about getting old is that you can forget things, and sometimes that means even forgetting your age. Oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Well, as you know, I, I still do um, a podcast, and right? I was doing one the other day, and I do it with my producer and longtime friend Dave Green, mm-hmm. and I'll just forget. Like, for example, I might forget your name. Oh, okay. Um, and the name I forgot then was, you know, not the most famous person in the world, but sort of famous person in the uh, genealogy business, and that's Henry Louis Gates Jr. Oh, sure. I know that name, yeah. So I was talking, you know, on the podcast, and we just, uh, finally, we just left it in. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not an official podcast that runs. We do chit chat so we put it just on the website and i couldn't remember his name i had done a podcast about the competing show which is who do you think you are exactly he doesn't exactly. do that no he doesn't do that he does the one on uh, it's called uh, on finding PBS. your roots exactly i know yeah. could t- say all those things finding your roots yeah. uh, pbs all uh, that came to you he, by- he has a cane his nickname is skippy but <laughs> i can't think of his name yeah, yeah but then finally dave took pity on me and uh, he uh, looked it up on the internet while i was talking and said bob it's henry lewis gates jr <laughs> so, and then once i hear it I, I, he moves to the front of the line in terms of my oh, sure. remembering things. Well, I'll there remember you go. him yeah. Yeah. for a month or two. Now. Uh, sure, now, and, it, and it does help to say it out loud. So, yes. just so you know, my name is George. Uh, <laughs> you're laughing, so you know I'm lying. Well, to the you. thing is, you've uh, changed your name. Uh, well, your, I have over the on, years. Uh, yes, on radio. Did you ever yeah. do another name in addition to Chris Warren? Uh, well, radio? I started out oh, yes, yes at, as Jesse James. You remember that story? Yeah, yeah. Back when all of us had young American names right, right. on the old WSNY. But we're not here to talk about me because you did that on your podcast a few yes, years ago yes, when yes. I had my memoir published. Tell me a little bit about Bob Cudmore. Where did he? start and where did he grow up? I grew up in Amsterdam, New York, okay. which is a 
Milltown in the Mohawk Valley. Sure. Carpet making center. And my father was a carpet weaver. Hmm. Yeah. And his father was a silk weaver. Wow. So I come from a long line of, of weavers. Of weavers. But I had no interest <laughs> in that. And my father did not probably think I should do that. It was yeah. sort of ordained that I would yeah. pursue higher things or whatever. Sure, sure. Or not that that's a bad job. It's a, a very skilled job. Mm-hmm. My father had to run a, a what they call a loom sure. that to weave carpets. They basically don't weave carpet much anymore. Right. They tuft it. Okay. But they, you still can weave it. But the a loom that he used was called a jacquard loom, okay. named for a French fellow yeah. who developed a system of punch cards that uh, told or that moved uh, depending on how a pattern was set. Mm-hmm. So it made the pattern show up in the carpet. There you go. Sure. Some say that the jacquard loom was one of the mechanical predecessors of the computer. Well, that's what I'm thinking, because yeah. I remember the first computer that I ever was exposed to was in junior high school, so we're talking 1965 or so, and your um, uh, whatever you put into the computer came out on a punch card, yep. you know, or, yep. or on a tape yep. that had punch punches in it. But I've heard pro and con. I talked to a guy who's a historian of carpet making don't ask me his name <laughs> but uh, he didn't think that was so mm. but it it is complicated and my father loved talking about it mm. Uh, mm. and w- which limited but you know with limited success with me and my mother his wife or my sister other yeah. people who didn't know it so he really hungered you know sort of like we do to get together with old radio people yeah he loved talking to talk, old talk the industry carpet yeah. people especially uh, weavers of this particular kind of loom uh but they were more identified not by the loom type but by the kind of carpet they wove which was called wilton okay so he's a wilton he always, he always used to say i'm a broken down wilton carpet <laughs> weaver so I'm, actually, I'm talking more about my father. Than oh, about and, and that's fine because it kind of gives us a history of again your background, but also the fact that back uh, when you were young, uh, Amsterdam uh, was still thriving. I mean, it was a yes. it was a very yes. you know hustling bustling right. town, yeah. uh, you know, back in those days as compared to what's happened to a lot of those. Oh yeah, and, and Amsterdam took an early tumble, and then it just kept getting worse. Yeah, although I. My understanding is that it's turned around to this extent hmm. that the population slightly is starting to grow. Well, there you once go. Once again, and they've got some really progressive industries uh, there. Sticker Mule, you oh, may yes, see. Oh, yes, I've heard of that. their ads yep, on seen TV. their ads too, yeah. And there's some other companies that they've got that are new Terrific. companies. But, yeah. Uh, and, and then there's the sort of trove of history, which is what I've been mining for mm-hmm. some years along mm-hmm. with other people yeah uh because it's an interesting past yeah where they used to make something they don't make it anymore and so on yeah so when did the radio bug uh, bite you i always liked listening to the radio okay (laughs) and unlike i think a lot of you guys or you know the guys (laughs) i meet at the louis lunches and the other gatherings that we have Mm -hmm. i just liked my local radio station Hmm. wcss okay up in amsterdam it was a station that started in the late 40s, and we listened to it at home, and I listened listened to it. I mean, as I got to be a teenager, of course, I was into 
rock and roll, and I wanted to hear the rock and roll on sure. the big stations like WPTR and mm-hmm. WTRY. Yeah. But I liked the local station, and it was it was really a... I mean, they're all probably crazy to some extent. I mean, people... There were these real larger-than-life personalities that were at the sure. this little radio station. Mm-hmm. The, the Polish announcer, Richard Bartizel, who I ended up working with, Walt Gaines, who owned a couple of stations up in the valley, as we call it, and mm-hmm. he owned a station in Little Falls. Really um, an outlandish sort of broadcaster, you know, along the lines of the people that Don Imus made fun of. You know, this is Reverend Billy Saul Hargis. You know, <laughs> right, right. You know, Walt Gaines would get on there and he'd, he could sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> you know, but uh, uh, so anyway, I liked listening to local radio. And somewhere along the way, I. Uh, when I was in high school, the station was having auditions okay. for a Sunday announcer. All righty. Which apparently they had done before. I mean, it wasn't the first. I don't know who was before me as Sunday announcer. But um, the, the manager and then ultimately the owner at the time was really a you know a great broadcaster, a guy named Phil Spencer. Okay. I probably would have had a different thought when I worked for him <laughs> you know, because he was known, as they all were, for being tighter than the paper on the wall. Uh, uh, yes, yes. But, I found but, that to be the case, yeah. But he, they had auditions for the uh, this position. And I don't know if it's because they weren't invited or because they just didn't want to go. No girls came. Hmm. You know, it was just... The guys, yeah, and a whole bunch of us really, yeah, auditioned. We had to read this, read that, do the other, the other thing, and um, ad lib or something. Cool. And I didn't win. Okay. The the, uh, <laughs> the winner of the competition was a, a young student a year ahead of me named Steve Ferris. All right. And they asked Steve, and he said, "I don't want to do it." Ah. Interesting. And Steve became a lawyer and did quite well. So, in other words, Steve was smarter than most everybody else applying for the job. So I was number two (laughs) on the list. And so to this moment, probably one of my happiest memories of a phone call is a man named Carl Bonn, who was the program director and morning man at WCSS, called me and said... Bob, we'd like you to work mm-hmm. on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, I had one of those calls that started my career, and it, you're right. I mean, there's there's nothing like it. You remember everything about that moment when it uh, when it happened to you. Yeah. Sure. Especially when we were still young and impressionable. You were how old at the time? Sixteen. Sixteen. There you go. Same here with me. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Because I was a junior in high school. Okay. Yeah. Here, and yep. you were as well. Same as well. Yep. I had just finished my junior year. In fact, it was the day after our final day of my junior year. Yeah, I started in '62, um, and Early in the year, okay. so I had a full year of just working Sundays. Okay, I may have worked and, Saturdays too sometimes. And what were you doing on Sunday afternoons? Well, I was the, you know, the announcer. The next fifteen minutes of the Dusty Miller Show is brought to you by some of the stores with the WCSS mic on the door. These progressive merchants displaying our mics offer you quality, value, and service. Remember, for the best buys, always shop at the store with the mic on the door. Save when you shop. Southside Supermarket, 56 Bridge Street. Save on prices and save top value stamps, too. Now at Southside Supermarket, 
With your free delivery, your stance will be delivered too from Southside Supermarket. Now at Otavio's, the House of Leather, 27 Market Street, the January clearance sale, big discounts on discontinued Skyway luggage, regular Samsonite, some briefcases, wallets, teenage Italian all-leather bags, and many others too numerous to mention at Octavio's. And Tessero's Professional Apothecary, 186 Market Street, and Tessero's Pharmacy, 46 East Main Street, two stores equipped to give your family double health insurance with quality drugs, cosmetics, and prescription service. Sick room or surgical supplies, and now at the Market Street store, famous loft chocolates. On Saturday afternoon, we had maybe a couple of religious shows. Okay. I had to get on. Uh, we didn't have... Um, I got to meet the Polish and Italian announcers. The station was heavy with <laughs> le- ethnic yep. programming. Yep. But the show that I did, uh, the English announcing, as they called it, was the Lithuanian Hour. Oh, wow. With a man named Leonard Hatwegas. And um, <laughs> so I do that seven to eight. And then it seems to me something else happened, some other recorded show. But then like around 9 o'clock at night on mm-hmm. Sunday mm-hmm. till 11 o'clock in the sign-off. And then I did the news, Okay, which at some point I had to gather mm-hmm. during the day. And so I got to play music. There you go. Yeah. And I uh, bent the needle or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Even though I was just saying I hadn't really been a great fan of the rock and roll local stations from Albany uh, or Schenectady. But I wanted to be popular at school. Okay. So Makes I sense. Yeah. started putting in yeah. uh, rock and roll music. Sure. Much to uh, Phil Spencer's chagrin. Chagrin, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was it. So 62, I did that. I don't think I had a summer job in 62. And realize I'm not the... Um, most industrious person, you know, like my, a lot of my friends, you know, set pins at a bowling alley. They mm. had paper routes. They worked in factories and so Okay, on. sure. The only thing I ever did until I ended up one summer when I came home from college, I couldn't get a radio job. I worked for public works. Okay. But for, for years, I never did anything except radio. Yeah, there you go. For, yeah, pretty much my story as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, I was only working one day a week um, the second summer that I was on the radio, about ready to go off to college. And my mother said, you got to do something else. I mean, you can't just, you know, I mean, you're, you're bringing home what? You know, $25 a week. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to go away to Boston with some money in your pocket? And so she got me a job where she worked, which was at a beverage canning uh, spot. Okay. So for about four weeks of the summer of 70, uh, I would do that Monday through Friday and then be on the radio on, on Sunday. Well, what happened with me is my, it, it seemed to me it was just the once a week or maybe in, I worked some during the summer, but the second summer I did, I was the regular fill-in. So I did a lot of fill-in. <laughs> you know, I filled in for everybody, including the morning host, which was always a big Oh, deal. yeah, and, yeah. Um, also, they fired the nighttime DJ for reasons they are funny, but I don't know if I want to okay. get into it in that late stage. <laughs> but um, they, and so they had me do that, mm. you know. And but they were looking for somebody because yeah. they knew I was going off to college. Sure. And um, same with my the summer of my senior year, 
as I was about to go off to college, I was also in Boston, but this was at Boston University. And I think it was that summer that I kind of, for a time, terminally offended Phil Spencer. Uh-oh. You know, I played <laughs> you know, too much of that rock and roll. There you go. The yeah. one story I always tell, I'm sure I've told you already, is I liked my boyfriend's back by oh, the sure. Angels. Angels, very Angels. good. My yeah. boyfriend's back and there's going to be trouble. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think I was filling in on the morning show and all of a sudden the studio door opened and <laughs> Phil's standing there and he said, Bob, do you like that record? So yes, I do, Mr. Spencer. I like it very much. Well, take it off the turntable and take it home. I never want to hear it here again. <laughs> oh, the good old days. The good old days. The good old days. Yep, yep. So um, you're going off to college, and it's not really. Is it? Are, are you going to pursue broadcasting in in college, or well, what was your major going to be? That that was actually probably my hope. Okay. But I went to college. I would, you know, I did well in school. Sure. You know, um, I was, in fact, I was valedictorian in my class. Excellent. And of high school. High school, sure. And I tried to get into Harvard, but couldn't. Okay. And so I got into what I thought was maybe the next best thing, Boston University. Certainly right up there, yeah. It was in the same city as Harvard. Exactly. And yeah. I was on some sort of well, waiting list. Kind of and, across the river, but we won't go yeah, into, into the, the semantics. River. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but And they're also well known for having a, uh, a broadcasting or communications mm-hmm. major. Mm-hmm. True, yeah. And uh, at that time and to this day, Absolutely. they have radio stations. Right. So... I went there, but I didn't study communication, you know, the right. electronic communication. Mm-hmm. I st- I'm an English major. Well, there you go. And uh, so I did that. So I, I had like two lives at college. I s- studied English, or I d- took courses in English l- literature, and but I started immediately hanging out at the oh yeah the college radio. So they, there were they had two. Yes, they had uh, the. Uh, closed. I think you talked about it. Where Graham, where you went, yeah. right? Um, whatever the, uh, you call it, carrier current. carrier current. Right. If you w- could, you had to plug your radio into the the power in the building in, the in building. order to hear the the studio, the station. Yeah. And that was WTBU. <laughs> okay. And I did a certain number of programs on W. I think I did a once a week mm-hmm. rock and roll DJ show. Cool. And then there was WBUR FM. There you go. Which. Today is a huge power in public broadcasting. Yes. But back then, it wasn't a joke, but it was just nobody listened to it. I remember bringing my father back in the story. Remember, as I did more and more for WBUR, he bought me an FM radio, <laughs> a nice KLH FM radio. Wow, yeah. And uh, so I could, could listen to myself sure. or other things. Yeah, that, because in the 60s, FM was still kind of phenomenal, you know, it was, it yep. was, it was new and not a lot of people were listening to it. I remember, I think my first exposure locally was WRPI, again, a college station, college station, because they were playing the music that I enjoyed and it was on the FM, yeah. Well, see, they hadn't made that leap yet at WBUR. Okay. They were still doing the, basically, not that there's anything wrong with it, the <laughs> classical music thing. Okay, yeah. And, you know, sort of serious programming. Sure. So, I, uh, I don't know what order or sequence but you know i was at bu for 
five years actually, because I got my bachelor's and I got a one-year master's degree. Um, so I was there for that number of years. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I started doing a talk show called Conference Call. Hmm. I mean, we didn't take calls, but we did, um, in, I interviewed people. Okay. And in fact, I think the one that I had the most fun with, we called Turning the Tables on the Talkers. Okay. In fact, I even have a clipping from the Record American or something like that. Yeah. WBUR is going to put this blah, blah. And now uh, here's a challenge. You have to remember all their names. But there were three of the prominent talk hosts hmm. uh, in the Boston market that I interviewed. Wow. One was Jim Westover. Yeah, me for my time. One was Fred Gale. Okay. And one was the other Bob Kennedy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they were all at big stations. Um, Bob Kennedy was at WBEZ. Okay, he sure. He was on 6.30 to 8 in the evening. Yeah. Fred Gale, the kind of liberal one of the bunch, was on, I think it was called WNAC, but it became WRKO. Yes, yes. And Jim Westover, and this is where I'm confused about where this story falls in the story of my life. <laughs> Jim Westover was a talk host on WEEI, the okay. talk of Boston. Yeah. WEEI, yeah. the mm -hmm. talk of And um, I had actually worked with him because I, I don't know when, again, the, the sequence of it, but I was doing these talk shows at WBUR. We did another big project at WBUR when there was a newspaper strike. Mm. We had a, by then we had a manager, last I knew he he was still with us, but, you know, having trouble toward the end of his life, as many of us do, but uh, a guy named Will Lewis. Okay. And Will hired me to help him with the newspaper of the air. Okay. Um, I, kind of after, uh, it, it started with the strike the Boston newspapers went on strike. So there's nothing in print. Right. So Will invited all the reporters to come up and read the stories they would have written. Wow. If they were. So it was a big project. He sure. got a lot of. That, that was Will. I mean, Will was like. Uh, you could see the seeds of all that public radio has done mm -hmm. in, in Will Lewis. And when the strike ended, you know, there was no need for the newspaper of the year. True. But. He kept it going. Hmm. And so I ended up, and this was sort of the end of my time at um, Boston U. I did, hosted and produced, a one-hour news show every night, cool. Monday through Friday. Yeah. And the story, and I had the occasion to interview Will about his GoFundMe campaign and such. And he remembers me, but it's sort of like, you know, me and Henry Louis Gates. He doesn't remember <laughs> me well. Yeah. And uh, I said, I swear this is true, Will. And he didn't deny it. He said, well, it could have happened <laughs> that um, I'm doing this newspaper of the air. How is he going to pay me? Yeah. There's no budget sure. for this guy. Yeah. So my wife at the time, my first wife, she passed away in uh, 2001. Um, she was a typing teacher at Hickok Secretarial School okay. in Boston. All right. So And so she was a you know, qualified typist. Sure. And so I said, or I don't know if I said or Will said, I could pay your wife hmm. for doing, you know, I have budget for clerical work. 
Okay. So I think that was it. Weird. And, uh, and I think, remember the salary, I think was $35 a week. Okay. Um, so that was my, probably the best thing I did at WBUR, the most, I don't know, productive thing. But by then, going getting way back to Jim Westover and company, mm. by then, and I'm not exactly sure how I got it, I had a job at WEEI. Oh, okay. They needed, again, a Sunday announcer. There you go. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, at the time, I think I think it still exists. It's a sports talk station, I think, now. Okay, but I think for, so, too. It, you know, it had been a middle-of-the-road station back in the day and then kind of went into talk uh, and ended up being all news, I okay. think, for a time. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. <laughs> and that was, I was there... Well, no, I wasn't there in the all-news phase. I was there in the talk phase. Okay. Uh, at, but they did a lot of news. Sure. And so I did Saturday and Sunday. Mm. You know, late, so it kind of messed up the social life. Uh, yeah, probably. But yeah. <laughs> um, I, that's what I did. And it was, to me, it was wonderful. I mean, it was, yeah. I, I remember the. it wasn't even the program director. It was the assistant program director who hired me. He did two things when he hired me. He said, you can't say, say you're Bob Cudmore. Hmm. You know, we don't like that name. Okay. I want you to be Bob Collins. Okay. okay. Yeah. Sounds Irish. <laughs> yeah. There's a columnist at the Globe named Bob Collins. Maybe people will think you're him. Hmm. So on that was the only time I had my name changed. Okay. And as you, I'm sure, has found out, I mean, but at WEEI land, Bob Cutmore didn't exist. It was there Collins. Sure, yeah. Bob, what are you doing there, Collins? Exactly, yeah. So, But I worked Saturday and Sunday at uh, WEEI, and I was required, although I was happy to do it because I come from a long line of labor activists, I guess you'd say. Okay. My father was a union member. All right. I had to join the union. the union, sure. The American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, mm -hmm. which cost an arm and a leg. Oh, boy. But they paid what I thought was an arm and a leg. They paid mm. three fifty an hour. Wow. Yeah, three, that's you know, right And I was up used there. to making a dollar and a quarter. An exactly. Hour. And this is the wow. 60s, yeah. I mean, when I started was, in 69, I got a, a two and a quarter an hour. You yeah. Know, so there you go. Yeah, being a union member paid off there. And I had a lot of you know fun stories at uh, WEEI and some not so fun. Again, yeah, I'm, I'm on kind of a roll with remembering names. <laughs> uh, and and so oh, here's the deal. I did some announcing. I did some news writing, mm -hmm. and you know wrote wrote my own news copy. Sure. But I also would produce talk shows. Good. Which means answer the phone. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But we were set up, you know, it was sort of, uh, I remember the, the engineer I often worked with, a guy named Bobby Cook. Bobby Cook would be to my right at the control board. I'd be at the, his le left at a telephone control board, you know, with okay. tog, you know, switches that fader pots and mm -hmm. this and that. So I could, you know, do things and, and at some point do real producing, you know, like mm. uh, say Jim Westover's talking to, somebody about the governor and I, you know, able to reach somebody, the governor's staff and get them on with nice. Jim before the show, nice. yeah. before the show ends. Yeah. So I, I produced a little bit for Jim Westover 
and a little bit for another uh, announcer named Howard Nelson. And Bobby Cook and I were there when, not Howard Nelson, but the guy he did this once a week show with, which was very popular, was unceremoniously yanked from the airwaves. Uh oh. And that was Father <laughs> Norman O'Connor, mm. I believe. Okay. You know, kind of a left wing priest. He oh, was boy. the jazz priest. Okay. And uh, so, you know, we were going along. It was Sunday afternoon. They were, I don't know who, they were on maybe three to six or something. So we get to the end, and Howard Nelson turns to Father O'Connor and says, Father O'Connor, I just want to thank you for all the years we've been together doing this show, but we won't be doing the show anymore. You just did so, your last one. <laughs> so thank you and, and goodbye. And, and the two of them got up, and they, I don't think they even spoke to us. Oh, wow. And they, they just left the building. Crazy. And, of course, the, the phone lines were humming, mm -hmm. and yeah. reporters called. Oh, boy. And I just tried to... Mm. you know, practice my no comment skills. And I think Bobby did as well, but I don't know. But somehow the kind of real story got out that the manager of the station, um, WEEI, was a conservative Catholic gentleman and he, he didn't yeah. appreciate some of Father O'Connor's opinions. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles. But sure. I remember being called in by the same guy that made me Bob Collins. Did you talk to anybody Sunday night <laughs> from the Globe? No, I, no, I didn't, mm -hmm. sir, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, didn't give them any information anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, radio producers, uh, tell me if you agree with this, are kind of the unsung heroes, especially of, of uh, talk radio. Oh, yeah. Um, because they are behind the scenes. Now, a lot of times, and this is happening now at WGY, you do hear the producers. Right. They sometimes are a part of the show. But for many years, you wouldn't. They were behind the scenes completely, yeah. as you say, answering the phones, figuring if, they, if it's a, tone, a talk show, a phone talk show, they're obviously figuring out which ones go on and which ones don't, you right. know. Oh, this is George again, and he was on last week three times, so we're not going to put on them every on. night. Yeah, yeah there you go, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but but they really, uh, you know, they would help shape the direction a show would go in. Yeah. Yeah. But it, and it was so different, and I was so different in my whole career as a talk host than guys, um, well, like even, I don't know if he's done actual I guess he has. I was going to bring up Mike Patrick or mm, okay. um, oh, J.R. Gash at WGY. Sure. Rush Limbaugh, of course. And, yeah. But anyway, they, they were different. Yeah. I mean, you knew that Jim Westover was a conservative man. Okay. But, you know, he would have the liberal Democratic governor on and mm -hmm. talk mm -hmm. with him and so forth, back yeah. and forth. Yeah. But, Things have changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. So you didn't stay in in Boston after uh, after college. Well, I hate to tell you, but I have another chapter in the Boston area. <laughs> oh, you do. Yeah. You don't have to hate yeah. to tell me. I, I'm anxious to hear it. Well, I don't know what happened to WEEI. I really can't remember. I think it it just sort of petered out. Okay. You know, so I wasn't doing that anymore. I graduated from Boston U, so I'm not doing that anymore. Right. But. Um, I and a friend of mine named Ben Farnsworth got jobs at a new station in Boston. Okay. That was uh, WCAS. Okay, I remember it. An old uh, AM frequency, and we yep. were on the AM side. Yeah. Uh, 740 AM. 
daytimer when we started, and I think it was all the time I was there. Um, and it was had decent backing. It was Kaiser Globe Broadcasting. Ah, okay. The Kaiser uh, Car Shipbuilding mm-hmm. Company, healthcare yep. uh, from the West Coast, started a group of radio stations. Sure. And they partnered with the Boston Globe. Ah, okay. But so that's what, where we were at. And what their concept was to do a news station that had DJ shows too, but focusing on, I think, five communities in the Boston area. Okay. Not Boston. Okay. Watertown, Cambridge, Arlington, Somerville, and Belmont. Okay. And the call letters were WCAS. Right. So that's what we did. <laughs> for Maybe I worked there for a year and a half or so. And uh, at some point, WCAS hired this hotshot New York City programmer mm. named Tony Chinamo. Okay. And Tony came in and, you know, you know it's radio, and so we're always goofing around sure. and something like that. And he liked Ben and I goofing around. Hmm. I think that's funny. Hmm. I think we should have you do a show. Whoa. So, sure. And so we had other things to do. I still did the news in the morning. Ben covered Belmont. I covered Somerville. Okay. Uh, but from 10 to noon, we did the Ben and Bob show or the Bob and Ben show. You know, that was one of our long-standing bits. And we thought we were funny. <laughs> and as long as the boss thought you were funny. Well, and that was the problem. Oh, okay. Uh, the local people did. I mean, Tony Chinamo thought we were hilarious. Okay. And he had enough pull that the, his boss, the manager... He convinced who wasn't a radio guy. And I was, oh, these guys are great. They're great. Mm-hmm. You know. So periodically, the head of Kaiser Broadcasting was a man named Dick Block, I believe, would fly around the country and visit the stations. Mm-hmm. And we had two. Sta- he had two stations in Boston. He had. Um, I can Jib W J I B. Oh, J I B. Sure, I auditioned there once. Yeah, FM. You know, beautiful yeah. music. Yeah. Uh, ben ended up. Do- he, ben's got a great voice, and he ended up doing uh, some announcing over there. But mm-hmm. that station was doing great. Okay. W C A S. Who knew? Yeah. You know, yeah. we used to call our chief salesman Giveaway Smith. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Anyway, Dick Block came, listened to the whole thing, and sent a memo to Shaw and Chinamo, um, the managers there, yeah. saying, let me see how this was worded. <laughs> and eventually, you know, we got a copy of the memo. Oh, sure. It was, uh, Dear Don, you know, re Ben and Bob, they are just awful. <laughs> Wouldn't it be better just to... Get rid of one of those yokels and <laughs> get a professional on the air wow. to do a yeah. radio show that uh. we can be proud of. <laughs> so the funny thing was, there was no doubt in anybody's mind that the real genius of Ben and Bob was Ben. Okay. <laughs> I mean, based on his future career. He ended up doing television in New York. Wow. He anchored for WCBS-FM and... Uh, no, at CBS, the all-news station in okay. New York. Wow. Uh, he, even before that, he was 
came back to w- Boston. He was a WEEI, mm-hmm. but they fired Ben. Didn't fire me. Wow. But I started looking. Sure. And so sure. then I, I got a job in uh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. There was some sort of, sort of a family push to that as well. My parents were getting older. Sure. My father, I think by then had, they'd laid him off at the carpet mill. Mm. I mean, he was almost retired. Yeah. And maybe he was you know, having some health problems. But anyway, I thought, well, it's closer to home. Mm-hmm. So we went to Pittsfield, Mass. in late 1968. Okay. And went to a station called WBEC. Sure. And stayed there until 1980 when wow. I went to WGY. Wow. So what was it like? I mean, were you the big man in a in a nice, uh, you know, small market? Or? I was at, after a time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I did feel quite uh, rather inadequate when I went there, oddly enough, even hmm. though, hmm. because these guys, the guys at WBEC, the news people, were very good. There were three of us. Okay. There was Tom Twynham, who's passed away, who was the news director. Chris Brooks, who ended up working for the Boston Globe. There you go. I think he's just he's retired, and me. Um, wow. And we had to do, you know, real news. I mean, yeah, we had to yeah. get out and cover things and mm. so on and so forth. So they had me do that in addition to doing a phone-in talk show for a half hour in the morning. Okay. And as time went on, I sort of morphed into the morning host. You know, the mm-hmm. man who I dearly loved, uh, Dana Jones, who'd been the announcer, We, I sort of pushed him to the side. Mm-hmm. He, had, he mm-hmm. ended up working at the FM station of WBEC. Okay. At the end of my stay there, I was doing the morning show, and it was a lot of fun, and it was something like maybe what Don Weeks did, although I didn't do voices. And I don't know what it was like when Don <laughs> Weeks did, but I, I did like interviews, and we did kind of foolish stunts sometimes. Cool. And it was quite popular in Pittsfield, and I kept trying toward the end of my stay there, uh, as we got closer to 1980, trying to get a job specifically at WGY. Mm-hmm. I applied several times. Wow. You know, when... They lost, uh, and I was always trying to get the morning job again, ah. but didn't that didn't work out. But maybe that helps you eventually, because when they did need somebody to do the nighttime talk show, because they'd fired the night host, it's a long story. It's fine. I don't know if it's a long <laughs> story, but it's a sad story. And they fired the night talk host at WGY, and... WGY came to me. There you go. Mike Neff, who was the program director, mm-hmm. drove over to Pittsfield one day. Sure. And I get done with my show and a uh, phone call. Okay. And it was Mike Neff. <laughs> wow. Oh, this is Mike Neff. I'm listening to the show. We'd like to consider you for the wow. evening talk show. And yeah. So that's how I ended up going to W. G-Y. You helped make that happen because they they knew the name. They knew that you really wanted to work there, even though the two or three times that you know openings came right. up, you know they didn't <clears throat> think you fit. But uh, just by being, you know, them being aware of your presence and the fact that you're not that far away, you know, obviously you could listen to the station. You knew what was going on there, so it must have been a, a pretty easy transition for you. 
Well, again, I thought it, it was hard at the beginning, but I kind of went into the groove of it. I, mm. and, and the people were very accepting. The you know, audience? Well, not the audience. That was another story. <laughs> but the folks I work with. Okay. Like Walt Fritz. Sure. Uh, Walt was, you know, uh, sort of an icon there. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, specifically, as they say, very kind to me. Um, <laughs> as he was to me when I first started yeah. in the business. Yeah. Kind of guy and, he is. And then the others, like Don, it wasn't Don Weeks that when I first went there. It was a guy named John Leslie, but he was... Mm -hmm sort of out soon and then Don yeah. Weeks came in and yeah. got to work with Don Weeks when Joe Gallagher came there it was it was wonderful mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. he and I really <laughs> hit it off um, and I, I just enjoyed talking to him and sure. being you know part of the show so practically everybody there Harry you yeah. know Harry was like the big star or a big star Harry but, Downey we're talking about yeah, yeah. that's right Harry yeah. Downey yeah uh and Dave Green I mean oh, Dave Green that? is doing the all night show okay in fact I remember that was one of the first things I listened to on WGY after I knew that Mike Neff wants to talk to me uh I heard uh, Dave and Peter Reef doing their 11 p.m crossover okay that's a phrase people grasp uh, you know, going from one show to the other. Sure. And they would talk for like 15 minutes, and it was funny as could be. That's WGY News. I'm Peter Reef. Right now, contact with Bob Cudmore on 81 WGY. Happy New Year, Peter. It's not here yet. Well, I know, but <laughs> happy New Year anyway. I realize we'll have another chance to talk after the 10 o'clock news. That's right. I wish uh, you and your lovely wife a happy New Year. And same to you and all the Cudmores. In fact, we uh, have 48 of them. We have about seven of them on the phone now. <laughs> As we continue with New Year's Eve on Contact, we are mainly doing Talent Night. We've heard from some of our old regulars. Richie had a tremendous set. Johnny from Albany. We've heard from a lot of young voices uh, tonight. Just before the news, we heard from Connie, Kirsten, and Carolyn, who said they've been trying for many of their young years to get through to something on 81 WGY. They finally made it. And they sang Tomorrow. The well, sun will come out tomorrow. That's from the old uh, Broadway show, Annie, right? But anyway, <laughs> we're probably not going to get you to sing, are we, Peter? I mean, I hate to even sound negative. I mean, I've been giving you such support in these, uh, your efforts to continue your trivia role. Well, I'm sorry. I, I just can't find it in myself to sing. Well, one of these nights you will. It'll be one like, of these nights. It'll be... <laughs> no, I should one of these nights. One of these nights. It'll be like Jim Neighbors on the Gomer Pyle show. Yeah. When you you'll, open up... You'll really have to wait for it. <laughs> we'll have to wait for it. Well, anyway, Peter, we've got the Cudmores waiting on the line. They're going to do their thing, and then we're going to move on to other talent night and New Year's Eve calls. So, Happy New Year. Same to you, Bob, and I'll be speaking to you later. Okay. And the other day, I just, this is a Dave Green story. The other day, Audrey, uh, my wife, was uh, cleaning, and, and she was listening to country music on Spotify. Okay. And all of a sudden, the Statler brothers piped in with Those Were the Days. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. And that was Dave Green's Friday night um, theme. Okay. For his trivia show. I'll be darned. And, see, and the premise was he'd ask Peter Reef questions, and most of the time Peter knew the answers. <laughs> well, anyway, so everybody was good to me. After I was there two or three years, th that was when WGY was at a high point. 
Yes. 1980. Yep. And while I was there, it went downhill. (laughs) (laughs) There's no other way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but um, so uh, we were losing audience at night. You know, it's eventually um, people like Tom Likas were on opposite us in the in the market and mm-hmm. other th- reasons. Sure. Um, but w- w- we tried to hang in there, and or, and to some extent we did. But after I was there for three or four years, there was this, uh, it, it was, and it's a big enough station, it's got uh, layers of management. Or yeah. The, the manager uh, mm-hmm. didn't, she thought it's time for Cudmore to go. Oh, and supposedly, my successor was at the station one night. You know, they brought him mm. around to show him. And then again, I'm not sure this is exactly true, but you know, I'm in the union, of course. Mm-hmm. I joined when I was at WEEI. Okay. Um, and one book came out, an Arbitron book, ratings, ratings book, book. Yeah. And the station, you know, went down again. Except for Cudmore. Oh. And I went up, maybe, you know, not a lot. Yeah, but enough. You know, it was something to Hmm. notice. Yeah. You know, and uh, I remember Jim Leonard, who was our shop steward, you know, Mm. called me to congratulate. Oh, that's good. The one they they want to get rid of. It's the one with the best yep, ratings. Yep, Jim. So, uh, Jim and I went to uh, uh, Bird Hills yeah, you together. Went to school together. Yeah, he was a year ahead of me. Like, he was uh, again one of those guys I looked up to and said, "If if he can do it, I can do this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. This song's called Alice's Restaurant. It's about Alice and the restaurant. But Alice's Restaurant is not the name of the restaurant. That's just the name of the song. And that's why I call the song Alice's Restaurant. Let's begin with Alice Pelkey Brock. Twenty years ago this Thanksgiving, Alice and her husband Ray invited one Arlo Guthrie and friend Richard Robbins to Thanksgiving dinner. Alice lived in the deconsecrated church in the Van Dusenville section of Great Barrington, Massachusetts, near Stockbridge, where Alice had her restaurant off an alley down Main Street, and also in Stockbridge, she worked as librarian at the Stockbridge School. Arlo, the son of folk singer Woody Guthrie and Marjorie Guthrie of New York, attended that school. On that Thanksgiving 20 years ago, the events begin with Arlo and his friend trying to dispose of a whole pile of garbage from Alice's place. Alice Brock, why did you have so much garbage there? It really wasn't garbage, you know, like smelly... Uh, uh fruit skins and stuff like that. It was um, from renovations. You know, we were working on the building. It was plaster and wood and building paper. After that, it was a kind of a series, not talking about myself, but I remember one of our WGY anniversaries. We just observed the 100th. Mm. Uh, somebody, um, well, uh, we were at the party I think it was held at Proctor's or so on. And that very day, I think we were still uh, yoked with WRGB television. Sure. And that was the day that they let Don Decker go. Wow. A longtime news director. News director, yeah. Who I knew, who, again, it was always good to me because we were both Amsterdam boys. Ah. And, uh, he, and that meant a lot to mm-hmm. Don. Mm-hmm. But so I was just shocked that they let Don go. And I was talking to another 
former WGY personality. And I said, Terry, Don go. He said, let me tell you something, young man. I survived 27 palace revolutions in that place. (laughs) They got me in the 28th, and they'll get you too. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It's just the nature of the business. (laughs) It, It is, it is. It usually happens after you've been there a while and you're making a decent amount of money and they realize, gee, I could hire a kid out of high school and he'd take half that pay and be thrilled. Well, I think I used this story when we did this last time. Um, I remember... (laughs) Now you've given me up. (laughs) No. No, let let, let explain what that means. No, you don't have to. Bob, Bob, no, I do. I do because, you know, truth in broadcasting here. If anything, I've always been truthful to my listeners. And that is, Bob was here a couple, three months ago. And once again, twice in the last year, I accidentally erased the interview. Okay, last time it wasn't my fault. It was the computer. Of course okay, not. I replaced the computer and upgraded the software, and everything was fine. This time it was human error, if you can call me that, because I <laughs> yes, feel awful do. when it happens to me. And Bob wasn't even home yet, and I had to get in touch with him and say, <laughs> by the way, everything we just did for the last hour, I just erased. And of course, I thought you were kidding. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I've I've been erasing interviews since the carpet or no I'm sorry Neil Diamond interview of 1972. That's for another whole book sometime. <laughs> I've oh, done so many crazy things in my career. But anyway, that's the reason why Bob just referred to last time he was here. And now I can't remember where where, where we were with going that with that because we're two old guys. Oh, I know. I remember. It. Okay, good. It was about the palace revolutions. Yes, and yes, you're yes. making too much money. Yeah. Um, Shortly before I was let go by WGY in 1993, I believe it was, Mm -hmm. um, I was with one of the managers of of the new owners. They had new owners, you know. Happens. GE owned it for a long time. Oh, a long time. And that, you know, really made it what it was in a sense. But there were several, or a couple of owners, and this guy wasn't the top of that heap, but... He was, you know, an important man, and I, I was stupid to say what I said to him. Mm-mm. But and he was very much friendly. He'd come in at night, and he'd bring us donuts and so on and so forth. And by then, they'd cut my hours way back, right? Something like that. I remember. And the so story. I was primarily what they call a board op. Yeah. You know, I do just... my two-hour talk show, and then I, the Dolans were on. I think they did a financial show. And, and you're and, just running the equipment the, the for equipment. them. Yeah. So I said to Gil, I said, Gil, I'm probably the highest paid board op in America. <laughs> Wrong thing to say to a money person. Absolutely, you know, yeah. You know, you know, you got a point there, Gunworm. <laughs> and how long before you were gone? <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. So then I was gone. Yeah. yeah. But I it <laughs> led me in other directions. I started writing for newspapers. Mm. I uh, did a column for the Troy Record when Rex Smith was editor mm-hmm. for some time and then started doing op-eds for the Daily Gazette. And that's become my media home, if you back, will. Back when it was the Schenectady Gazette. It was the Schenectady yeah, Gazette. Yeah, fortunate. But now over, I've done a, a column, a history column for the Daily Gazette Longer than I've ever done anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's where that English background came in. I mean, be. you know, thank goodness you got a yeah. chance to use your education from yeah. you know Boston University. Yeah, but uh, d- did you have any idea back in those days that that would be in your future? That writing would become so important uh, to you? Well, 
Probably. You know, probably I thought maybe I could write the great American novel. Oh, don't we all think that? But uh, I didn't. (laughs) Uh, But it's uh, what I found is a little niche, and I hope this doesn't mess me up with the Gazette like I did with the WG Boss. (laughs) (laughs) But I have now done a 600 word historical column for so long I have a certain feel for it, how it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, things you want to do, yeah. little twists and turns, and it's got to be absolutely perfect. Sure. And How come do you, How close do you come to the 600 words each all, time? All, every week. Yeah, yeah. Isn't I'm that 600 something? 600 words. Yeah. And that came from another boss. It's a newspaper boss, um, Irv Dean, who was unfortunately passed away. But he was my editor for most of the years I was at the Gazette. And I had several versions or I did several versions of the column okay first but it was always around 600 words so when we were making the final deal for the column that was going to run Saturdays in the whole we get the run of the paper mm-hmm. which has also been important to me it doesn't run just up in the they used to do an Amsterdam edition right or a, or a Montgomery County edition but right now my column even though it's always about Amsterdam or maybe Fort Plain um <clears throat> They run it throughout the, uh, it's in the, the whole, paper. The whole run, yeah. And so we're closing the deal, and I said to Irv, and about 600 words? He said, yeah, 600 words. I said, you know, like 600 to 610, 600 words. <laughs> so from that mm, moment on, yeah, every you know, that's the last thing I do. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. we haven't made the donuts until we've got this mm-hmm. at 600 words. There you go. I remember taking um, broadcast journalism classes in, in college and um, learning about some of the words that are unnecessary in, uh, in a sentence. We often do it. Uh, when we're talking and we think we have to do it when we're writing. And so I was able to go back through news stories and, uh, of course, with help from my professor who would say, you don't need this word, you don't need this word, you know, and all of a sudden you've got room for another whole story, you know, because you're editing yourself as as you go along. So, uh, yeah, it's a nice, uh, nice trick to know. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, uh, but but you weren't off radio forever. No, no. At some point toward the end of the the 1900s, (laughs) Um, what um, does that make us sound old? <laughs> my family members started to pass away. You know, first your parents, yeah. then my sister, and then my wife. Mm. And at the time, my real paying job was I got a uh, public relations position at uh, Boston, no, at uh, <laughs> State University of New York at the system. Mm-hmm. I almost... You're getting it's a confusing system. Okay. But I worked for the State University of New York. Okay, the the whole Megillah, if you will. All right. I didn't work for the campus at Albany, mm-hmm. even though I worked in Albany. Okay, and but it was I for the whole the, system in the uh, former DNH building. Beautiful. Oh building. yeah. Oh, what a great building to be yeah. in. And yeah. we were on the ninth. Most of the years I was there, I was there like eight years um, at at SUNY. Uh, we were on the ninth floor of the middle tower. Okay. So I had a great view of mm. downtown Albany. Sure. I could see whoever was governor's <laughs> second floor office. <laughs> when the lights were on and off. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I wonder what they're doing and yeah. so on. And you could see the weather coming because you're facing west. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Well, well yeah. so it was, it was in many ways a great job. Yeah. But 
I didn't. I liked it, and I I liked being there. Mm. I guess, but I'd learned by then was how to be uh, charming at work. Okay, or something <laughs> like that. You know, I was a favorite of the, the union workers. You know, like the the females and the males who, you know, I was seen as sort of like the class clown. Okay, you know, I didn't. <laughs> Parody songs and hmm. you know for parties and this and that. Oh. Plus, I did what I had to do, you know. Which sure. <laughs> sometimes job. we say lie to the press. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we didn't really, but no. it's well anyway. <laughs> it, it, it it's a high pressure kind of job. Sure. So anyway, after my wife passed away, I thought Gee, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Hmm. I'd rather be back in radio. Sure. So I, I think they were shocked. I gave my notice. Wow. I'm going to leave. Wow. Okay. Now, and this was without anything lined up at the point or at exactly. that point? Yeah. Because I figured I could probably get by. Sure. You know, without any more. And uh, this keeps getting so involved. <laughs> I always had another side hustle. Right. I taught at the College of St. Rose. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I taught... Um, introduction to mass media, cool. which I'd be unable to teach today. Today, yeah. Well, you and me both. No idea. Yeah. yeah. But uh, back when they used to do stories about the history of newspapers and magazines, yeah, yeah. that was me. Wow. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so I did that, and, and they paid you know, a good little side job. But my main position was working uh, in public relations for the State University of New York, and I said, no, I. I don't think I want to do that anymore. And one of the politicians who's, I can't remember if he's still in the news now or alas may have passed on, but that was Carl McCall. Oh, I remember the name, yeah. <laughs> Carl McCall was state controller and then he was head of the SUNY Board of Trustees. Okay. Uh, he and Andrew had some difficulties. I don't mm -hmm. know what they were, but mm -hmm. <clears throat> it, it's back then... Because I just learned recently from the news that apparently they stopped doing this, but then they've uh, the new governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, has reinstituted it. But anyway, to get to the point, at some point, <clears throat> Carl McCall convinced state government that SUNY, or, or maybe the whole state government, like it must have been the whole state government, should get five-year vesting. Hmm. in your pension, yeah. in other words. Yeah. See, the thing was, I'd been at SUNY for eight years, Okay. and I had built up a sort of a mythical pot of money mm -hmm. uh, is for um, my pension, but I couldn't get it because mm. it was you had to be there 10 years. Oh, boy. But Carl McCall changed it, so it was five years. Mm. And I'd, we'd, I'd see uh, Mr. McCall at some SUNY functions because his wife was, I believe, the president of Fashion, Fashion Institute of Technology mm -hmm. in the city. FIT, yeah. So I, and I just went one of the parties, just to, you know, again, my goofy persona <laughs> at SUNY went up to him. <laughs> Commissioner McCall, yes, I wanted to thank you for five-year vesting. Hmm. He pointed at me and he said, we had you in mind. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I retired. Nice. And I'm still being paid a pension by the nice. State University. Yeah. And I started working at little radio stations again. It was yeah. like I was back as a teenager. Mm -hmm. I worked for this um, 
Well, in fact, it was, I was on 1240 AM. Oh, there you go, where I started my career, yeah. And yeah. we were doing a, a talk format, but gearing it towards Schenectady. Sure. Seemed like fun, but we really made no yeah. <clears throat> impact. Yeah. And then I started doing part-time work at my old stomping grounds, WCSS. Crazy. In Amsterdam. Yeah. And then ultimately, or at some point, uh, a new owner came to Amsterdam. Um, Ken Rozier, who owns a bunch of stations in Utica, uh, and uh, you know, it's a successful broadcaster mm-hmm. kind of guy, kind of like a Phil Spencer again. You know? Yeah. So he came in and he bought the other station in Amsterdam. Okay. It, it was on the AM, and he made it WVTL, and eventually mm-hmm. we got an FM translator, a little FM signal. Good morning, WVTL. Hi. Good morning. I have a question for today. I just wonder if uh, that SWAT team that came in that house and shot that dog that apparently didn't attack them, that was afraid and went in the bathroom, if the Buster's Law is going to go back on the person who shot that dog. Well, probably not. That'd be my hunch, but I think you're making a good point. This was an incident in Schenectady uh, last week. Yeah, that was the incident in Schenectady. Yeah. I think that's a tragedy. And I think that that should be checked into, and that sergeant or chief or whatever should be checking into that. That's a terrible, terrible loss. An animal is just like a child to somebody. I started working for them in 2004. Okay. And I've got a sort of a thing for round numbers. I worked there from 2004 to 2014. 14. But once again, I walked away from it. Mm. <clears throat> mainly because of the weather yeah yeah we we talked about this when when you did it you know you said uh, getting uh, getting there from scotia to uh, amsterdam in the winter time in the morning before the plows are out sometimes it just it yeah you don't need to be doing don't that. need to be doing that no no so i stopped doing it but after uh, well when we did that there was more reward doing that show than mm. the show up in on 1240, mm-hmm. you know, it, it seemed to make a difference in the community. We never showed up in the ratings or maybe once, <laughs> but or twice, but we did all sorts of things, you know, political debates. Yeah, yeah. And I did a morning news show, and for a while the station was talk, but then they would went to different kinds of music, which I preferred because, you know, I'd rather, again, this maybe t- took me back to my, WGY days when they were like a full service station. Right. So I could play at WVTL four records an hour. Okay. Which doesn't sound like a ton. Yeah, but, but it's enough of a break to, yeah. yeah. It gives you the time to yeah. think about what you're going to say next. Exactly. Yeah. What you're going to do next. So yeah. then, but then uh, 2014, that was that. And then I, uh, before I left there, I had started doing. I didn't call it a podcast. I started started doing a an hour of the show about history called the Historians, mm-hmm. and turned it into a podcast. Yes, we did. We turned it into yeah. a podcast about the only thing we've missed is how you and I, I think, first connected. And that's when I was working for uh, WMHT, the PBS TV station, mm-hmm. and you started working with uh, Steve Dunn on some documentaries about the area history. Yes. How'd that come about? Um, <clears throat> there was a manager, I don't know if he was there in your time, named Don Rogerson. I remember the name, yes. Yes. And 
I was, let's see, we're talking the late 90s, I yes, think. Yes, sounds about right. <clears throat> and he, uh, I had done something or other <laughs> that he'd heard of, and, and it came to him that I was sort of this Amsterdam lad. Yeah. The new Amsterdam. Inside and out. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, and he said, you know, we'd like to do one of our documentaries about Amsterdam. Mm. So he assigned Steve Dunn to be the producer, mm -hmm. and I was going to be co-producer. Uh -huh. I was co-producer. Okay. And we did it, and it was a great success. Uh, I think Steve and I did not get along at first. <laughs> it, as time went on, we you know, warmed up to each other more. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, to me, he was just like from another planet. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, what are you talking about, Steve? <clears throat> he was so particular. Yeah. Like we'd go out and uh, he'd say, well, this afternoon we're going to shoot that street signs. Okay. Not figuring half an hour tops. Yeah, right. We were there for three hours <laughs> <clears throat> shooting the street sign. And what the phrase I came up with to describe the two of us, he was the artist, I was the BS artist. Okay. <laughs> for what we did. Yeah. But yeah. we, when we produced the documentary, again, it was a big hit. Yeah. Amsterdam loved it. Am mm -hmm. Amsterdam people had not had such, their story paid attention to in such detail. Yeah. We had uh, the union boss on camera, you know, at this burned out carpet mill. We talked to this woman about history who um, lived a lot of it and knew, you know, a great deal about it. We covered all the like festivals, the Puerto Rican one, the Italian one, the Polish one. We interviewed the Polish and Italian um, radio show hosts. Uh, it, it, we just had a whole bunch of stuff and a serious side to it. We had a, a doctorate. Uh, not she wasn't a candidate. She earned her doctorate in anthropology, who studied the decline of Amsterdam's mills. Wow. Okay. So on. And so yeah, anyway, yeah. so that worked out really well, and um, we got paid. All right. Uh, and after that, Steve and I did a couple more. Yes. Documentaries. Yeah, yeah. We did one called Remembering Downtown, mm -hmm. which was about Albany, Schenectady, and Troy. Yep. And I s still get my hair cut at the Wedgeway Barbershop, which is <laughs> in Schenectady. Wow. Which is part of that. And I sure. got to meet Richard the Barber, Richard de Cristofero. And I th think I was the voice on another one that Steve did about railroads. Could but be. I did Could some be. shooting with him. I remember yeah. going up. I, I seem to remember little put downs or people like, or mistakes you make. <laughs> or, um, we were we were filming. Well, of course, it's by now digital video. But we were filming um, a railroad, a tourist railroad, it was in North Creek. I don't think it's still there. But so what Steve had arranged is. We're going to go in the cab of the engine, mm -hmm. and we're going to. I want you to interview the engineer up there. Okay. Meanwhile, Steve's like hanging off the oh, front God. end of the oh, yeah. thing and taking. He loved to do that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I said uh, to the engineer, I can't remember what his name was. So, Mr. Jones, thank you very much for this opportunity. I just want to try to get to the bottom of what it's like to 
drive the train. <laughs> he, he says, young man, you don't drive a train. Right. You run a train. There you go. <laughs> the tracks tell yes, you to drive yeah. the train. And you, you learn some stuff you know, when you're, yeah. Well, what I liked about Steve is exactly what you pointed out, is that he was meticulous. He was very, oh. very good. I, I narrated a couple of things that he did. Yes, you, you did Flood of Light. Uh, Flood of Light, yeah, for WMHT about uh, replacing the roof on the uh, Capitol, Capitol Building, State Capitol Building in Albany. And he really, I mean, gosh, uh, once again, He's doing some of the videography himself, and he's up on on this roof, and you know they've got him anchored sometimes, but not all the time. I remember him shooting the opening for one of the uh, 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 annual auctions that we used to do on WMHT, and we were doing it from the old Latham Circle Mall, which had expanded. And they got a, a plane to take him up, a cargo plane, where he was hanging out the back of the cargo, you know, uh, <laughs> door, and you know, mm-hmm. taking shots over top of the mall for the opening. He just loved to do that stuff. He went up in an aerobatics plane. I was in one plane, and he was in another. It was a a mirror aerobatics act uh, of Cap Ten airplanes at the air show in Schenectady County one time, and wow. uh, and he's in one plane shooting the other plane that I'm in so that I have the experience and I'm able to talk about it while we're doing it. And just, he had no fear for doing, you know, stuff like this and really wanted the detail. And then that's what he got. So just great memories of working with folks like, like Steve and Steve Honeybill and all these other guys that worked. And I did some other work. Dave Dave Pavro, by the way, who just celebrated a birthday. Oh, and Dave Pavro was always, you know, again, a great guy to work with. Yes, absolutely. I remembered him, I mean, with the documentaries, it was just Steve, basically, I worked with. Uh, we had some sort of oversight, but, you know, we were doing this ourselves. But I did some other shows there. I did, uh, filled in mainly mm-hmm. on their public affairs show. Sure, and yeah, I did some of that people. early on as well, yeah. And uh, yeah. That, that's when I got to know Dave Pavro yeah. and Joanne Durfee. Oh, yeah, She was the last yes. person I worked with there. Yeah. Um, she um, did it. In fact, she did a documentary series called "An Age Thing." You know, yes, yeah. As I got older, um, <laughs> and I, you know, I narrated. I think I just narrated that. I don't yeah. think we did yeah. uh, interviews and so on, or I didn't do them. She had them done herself. So, yeah, great, great folks over there. Yeah, good, and we had some, some great time. And and you were nice enough when I was running the auction for a few years. You came over and would uh, be an auctioneer, a guest auctioneer, which was awfully sure. nice of you. Yeah. Well, so yeah. Uh, that's I think that's where we first uh, you know met. And then we we mentioned very early on, and we'll kind of wrap it up with this, perhaps um, uh, the Louis lunch. And per- people are probably saying, "Who the hell was Louis?" <laughs> and uh, but we we really should give him his uh, his due. So tell us how the Louis lunch started and and how it continues to this day. Well, Lou uh, Louis Korea was an engineer, you know, radio engineer mm-hmm. at WGY, uh, and at some point got laid off. Okay, and um, he was very sad about it. He'd been there, not his whole career. I think he'd worked at WROW as an engineer. But he was one of those engineers who started as a studio engineer. Okay. So he would put programs together. Mm-hmm. So he liked programming guys and mm-hmm. gals. You know, mm-hmm. he enjoyed he enjoyed that, and he was very witty. Okay. Um, well, anyway, 
so he's let go and he he was also very proud so he wouldn't wasn't i don't know interested in going to lunches that ex existed already for former employees and so forth so i said would you go out to lunch with me yeah so we started going <laughs> out to lunch okay and what wasn't the rule that in order to join well, this lunch yeah then Jim Leonard lost his job at okay. WGY. Yeah. So we added Jim to the mix. Okay. So it was Jim Leonard, uh, Louis Correa, and me. And the criterion was you either work for WGY or been fired by WGY. Okay. There you go. Yeah. To yeah. attend yeah. Louis lunch. Yeah. And that's how it was for some years. Sure. Yeah. Eventually, we changed, and we probably changed when. Um, my friend Jack Keenan came on mm, board. Yes, yes. Uh, Jack was a banker in Albany, long past, but um, he had done the Christmas show and old time radio shows on WGY. Yeah, and so and he just loved radio people yes. and TV people and media yeah. folk. Yeah. that's the kind of PR guy he was. Yep, you know, and yep. so he added a lot to the lunch and. and terms of like a Rolodex. Yeah, he kept quite a list <laughs> he of, called of people and former like, radio and and then eventually TV people were you know in the mix as well, which is what it is today, kind of a nice combination. And then you came along and eventually <laughs> you took over that Well, role. when we lost Jack. Yeah. yeah we I, lost I, Jack. I we lost Jack a few years back and and I was having fun at these lunches. He originally invited me to one. And all of a sudden, I'm rubbing shoulders with uh, Ralph Vardigan, who I yeah. grew up watching on TV, and, <clears throat> right. and and people like that, folks that I had worked with early in radio were at this lunch. And so um, I was enjoying myself that when, when he got sick and couldn't do it anymore, I just kind of stepped in. Yeah, well, you and I kind of both did. You, you, had, did, you had some numbers and names, and I had but some. But now I'm yeah. you know, going in that direction, too. <laughs> uh, so... It's aren't up to you. All, aren't we all? <laughs> up to you, Warren. Well, I, I enjoy it. And this is kind of an outgrowth of, of that. I figured, well, I know all these guys. And, and there's, I mean, it's not an unlimited amount, but we have anywhere from a dozen to maybe 20 people, you know, that right. uh, that come. Right. I think there are up, we're up to like 35 or 40 people on the list. Wow. And, uh, you know, so not everybody can join us. Some are still working. Some, uh, you know, can't get away at, at lunchtime. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but it, it's a good list, and we still have a, a nice mm -hmm. core of people that get together. And I thought, well, I know all these people. Uh, I need to be doing something around the house because my wife just keeps finding things for me to do. That's right. Uh, yeah, so what if I start doing this monthly podcast? And you, sir, have uh, fin helped me finish my first year. You are the 12th interview. Number 12. Number 12. So everything happens for a reason. I had a... A late mother-in-law that used that phrase a lot. Everything happens for a reason. The reason that I accidentally erased you two months ago was so you could be <clears throat> the final one of my first year of our podcast. Well, it's been an honor. Well, it's I, the honor's mine, believe me, Bob. I, I listened to you for years, got a chance to work with you. I l enjoyed you know, lunching with you and such. And so I'm just thrilled that you found uh, some time and the effort, as I say, to get up the six steps to the radio split range. It was range. an effort. <laughs> it was an effort. I'll help you get down, and we'll be just fine, and we'll hopefully see you soon at a lunch. All right. Good thank, luck to you. Well, thank you, and, and the same to you. Good health. Radio Split Ranch. 
You know, I've got to be one of the luckiest guys ever to be on the radio. Not only did I work with some terrific professionals in my 50-plus years on the air, but in my later years, I've become friends with icons who couldn't be nicer to share their stories here on the Radio Split Ranch. And oh, the places they have been. If you're a regular listener, you know we're keeping a running tally of the radio stations all my guests worked for in their careers over the years. Bob tells me the total number of call letters he's been associated with adds up to 16. So that brings our first year running total to 136 different radio stations worked at by the 12 folks that I've interviewed so far. By the way, if you'd like to be added to my list of nice people, it's easy. Just go to Amazon.com and order my radio memoir. I'll have to ask my mom, uh, either in print or audiobook through Audible. Uh, but if you can't wait for delivery, here's some instant gratification for you. Yes, another air check from the Chris Warren Library. Sure to have you saying, haven't I been tortured enough by this guy? This one's for fellow Beatles fans who may remember what we did on 98.3 WTRY back on the 40th anniversary of the British invasion in February of 2004. Hope you enjoyed the memories and will join us again next month for more from the Radio Split Ranch. In the meantime, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Good morning. It's a Beatles Invasion weekend on 98.3 WTRY. Are you as psyched as I am? We've got 10 Beatles favorites back-to-back we're playing right now. Coming up, there's a place, Kansas City. Here's the song I used to sing to my kids in the bathtub. 98.3 WTRY, right in 40 years of Beatles music is worth celebrating. I read the news today. It's a WTRY Beatles Invasion Weekend. It's getting better all the time. On the super hits of the 60s and 70s. 98.3 WTRY. I'm a loser. Good morning, I'm Chris. We'll be back to the Beatles momentarily. Want to remind you that you can dance off the winter blues and have a chance to win a trip to Aruba where happiness lives. Just keep listening to win your exclusive invitation to the WTRY Cabin Fever Beach Party coming up February 27th at Clifton Park at the Comfort Suites. We're going to dance all night long with the WTRY crew. Enjoy great food from Pans' Restaurant and Catering. And you'll have a chance to win six days in Aruba. Stay tuned for your chance to win, of course, on the air. But you can also sign up to win your invitation to the WTRY Cabin Cabin Fever Beach Party at WTRY.com. 98.3 WTRY. There's a place. There's a place. There's a place. Celebrating with back to back Beatles all weekend long. It's the WTRY Beatles Invasion Weekend on 98.3 WTRY. 
98.3 WTRY Beatle Invasion Weekend underway with Chris Warren. And next up is the first song Paul remembers writing the words to first. He always wrote the melodies and added the words later, but this one came the other way around. It's also the first song the Beatles performed on a historic Sunday night 40 years ago this evening when Ed Sullivan introduced them to 74 million Americans watching Coast to Coast on CBS. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you I will say to you Well, we feel flattered I mean, if the screaming fans weren't there Then we wouldn't be here, would we? You're listening to the WTRY Beatles Invasion Weekend On 98.3 WTRY hits of the 60s and 70s. 98.3 WTRY Real Early Beatles. There's Ain't She Sweet. Before that, You're 16 from Ringo. That was number one 30 years ago last week on the charts. We've got more Beatles Invasion music coming up for you. And of course, solo hits from all the Beatles. Stick around for that. I'm Chris Warren. Please allow me to apologize. I had a wardrobe malfunction this morning and that's why I'm doing my show topless. These things happen, you know. They just happen. Stick around. More Beatles Invasion fun coming up, including Fool on the Hill next. Once again. I'm Fox 23 meteorologist Noah Francis. Chris Warren. It's 34. 98.3 WTRY. Super hits of the 60s and 70s. 98.3 WTRY Beatles Invasion weekend with Paul talking about their first trip to the USA. There were millions of kids at the airport, which nobody expected. And we heard about it mid-air, as I recall, you know, because there were journalists on the plane near the pilot can ring ahead. And we said, oh, tell the boys there's a big crowd waiting for them there. So we went, well, gotcha. And really made it. Got a good Celebrating the 40-year anniversary of a Beatles invasion of America. You're hearing nothing but the Beatles all weekend long. 98.3. Hey! Oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Bozeman. Wait a minute, wait a Oh, it's fun to listen to. WTRY. 
Playing the super hits of the 60s and 70s, 98.3, WTRY, Penny Lane, the Beatles on a Beatles Invasion weekend 40 years ago tonight. Do you believe that? By the way, Penny Lane, the bank, barber, and the fire station, they're all real locations in Paul's childhood memories of Penny Lane in Liverpool. Only the fire station was about a half mile down the road from the other two places. Paul says he still likes the phrase from that song, it's a clean machine. He just thinks that stood the test of time. We're going to get back to it. More Beatles Invasion music. Rock and roll music, in fact. Coming up next, that'll kick off 10 in a row. Stick around. Rock and roll's greatest team. Anyone else have a bad case of cabin fever? And a chance to win a trip or two to Aruba, where happiness lives. 98.3 WTRY Oh, darling Guaranteed to raise a smile. It's the WTRY Beatles Invasion Weekend. Back-to-back Beatles on 98.3 WTRY. 98.3 WTRY Beatles Invasion Weekend underway. I'm Chris Warren. Here's one that the wife of the man who introduced Paul McCartney to John Lennon helped Paul write. Jan Vaughn taught French, and she gave Paul the lyrics he needed, and Paul later sent round a check since he says she virtually co-wrote. Michelle. Michelle. Invasion Weekend. 98.3 WTRY. hits of the 60s and 70s, 98.3 WTRY. And I love her. Oh, man, that take me back. You too, huh? Yeah, I thought so. Get those tears out of your eyes. Yeah. Back to the Beatles Invasion weekend in just a couple of seconds. Here, I want to remind you, the fifth annual Cabin Fever Adirondack Song Fest is tonight at the Galway High School Auditorium. This will break up your weekend nicely and get you out of the house before you lose it. It's uh, starting at 7 o'clock tonight. Singer and songwriters uh, Peggy Lynn and Dan Berggren. Sounds like fun. Like for the whole family. Check it out. All right, it's no secret that some songs that we're playing this weekend were written solely by John, some solely by Paul, and of course both of them did some of them together. One of John's early originals, finished before he played it for Paul in the recording studio, is coming up. Monday, a mix of sun and clouds, high 34. I'm Fox 23 meteorologist Noah Chris Warren. It's 34. Invasion weekend underway. John Lennon says he was doing his best Smokey Robinson imitation on this next one. It's a song he wrote solo, playing it for Paul and his mates just before they recorded it in 1963. Here's all I gotta do on a Beatles Invasion weekend. Super hits of the 60s and 70s. Whenever I 
This is the Capital Region's Super Hit Station. Station. 98.3 WTRY. The super hits of the 60s and 70s. And this is where you hear the fog of guy Beatles. This is where you hear the hits play the Beatle way. Stick around all night, hey, stick around all day. For the Beatles sound the best around WNCA. Hey! Beatlemania strikes again. the 40-year anniversary of a Beatles invasion of America. We were four relatively sane people, and everybody else was going crackers. You're hearing nothing but the Beatles all weekend long on 98.3 WTRY. The long and winding road. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 70s. 60s and 70s, back to back. Here comes the hit. 98.3 WTRY. I want to be your mother, baby. I want to be your man. Beatles Invasion Weekend, 98.3 WTRY, playing the super hits of the 60s and 70s. You know, two things happened to me when I was about 12 years old. I saw my first radio station, and I heard my first Beatles song. And that combination of events is what led me to my first career in radio when I was 16 years old. It's only taken me 35 years to work my first All Beatles weekend. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with me every week. I really love doing this, and I hope it shows. I hope you have a good time. Terry O'Donnell keeps the Beatles beat with another 10 in a row coming up next. A cut from yesterday and today to kick it off. And as we say every week at this time, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. I'm Chris Warren. We'll catch you next Saturday at 10. Have a great week. 98.3 WTRY.